Thank you for tuning in to the Living Truth Church podcast. We're glad that you're here. If you'd like more information about Living Truth, you can check out our website at livingtruthchurch.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, but the best way to connect with us is through our Living Truth Church app, which can be found in any app store. Now for a message from the Word of God. We hope that God uses this teaching to impact your life. Good morning. Well, it's a great time of worship, amen? Are you all ready to get into Revelation? Yeah, okay. All right. All right, I need a little more enthusiasm than that. All right, come on. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So, hey, no, 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 no. Go Jesus. All right. We're talking about somebody special, this series, somebody special, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what this series is about, who this series is about. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start uh, with the end of the book of Revelation as we introduce it. Yeah, you know, as usually it kind of ruins the story when you start in the back, but uh, this is a story that needs to ruin us. How about that? Uh, but let me say from the outset, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. A lot of people say, well, when are you going to preach a revelation? Well, let's just go ahead and put it in perspective. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. This is who it's about. It might tell us a lot about end times, but make no mistake, it is off all about the Alpha and Omega, the one who is the beginning and the end. The one who is named or characterized in the revealing no less than 35 times. He's the one with the flaming eyes, the rider on the white horse, and more. There are 90 descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are totally dependent on you to speak to us through your word this morning, God. I pray that, that uh, we... Uh, I know the wrestling match that we have is with ourselves, our own stubborn selves, God. I pray that you'd help us to kick that old self out of the way, Lord, and hear what you have to say. God, I pray for no distractions, Lord. Speak to us plainly and clearly through your words so that we take next steps. Lord, we thank you that you're doing a new thing in our lives, God. And I pray that we'll pass that on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Revelation 22, 17, and by the way, I heard a couple of amens in there, and that's okay. This is an amen church. In fact, I'm looking up, I, I, at last service as I was going through this, I caught myself reading Revelation where it says amen a lot. I need to go back and look. That might be, it may be amen. That may be the biggest book in the Bible that has amen in it. So we'll go look. We'll go look. Do that on your own, and I'll do it on my own. We'll come back together and find out. But anyway... Revelation 22, 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. John reveals what has been revealed to him. But right here at the end, the Holy Spirit and the church, the bride, the bride of Christ, the church say, Come. The gift of eternal life is free for the taking. No charge. Nada. Neil. Zippo. Cost you nothing. Cost him everything. Just take it. You will see after we work through the revelation that all, that all of the predisposed barriers and excuses for not taking are totally ridiculous. Nonsense. 
God has graciously offered easy access to salvation. It's ripe, it's close, it's nearby, as Paul wrote in Romans 10, 4. It's, it's on your lips. It's just like, yes, I do. Yes, Jesus, I will receive what you have offered to us. It's right there. And maybe there's somebody here today, you've come so close so many times, maybe today would be the day of salvation. For the one who will not take freely of the gracious offering of eternal life, life is hopeless. Can't do anything for you. There's nothing else. Here's the question. Why live in hopelessness and despair when you don't have to? If you were on a dry and desert road and you were thirsty, you haven't had any water forever, and there's this gallon of water there, would you walk past it? Well, only if you want to die. No book in Scripture reveals the glory of God in Christ in any more splendor than does this book. And yet no book has been more misunderstood, misinterpreted, and neglected than this book. It's at the end, so we never get to it, right? <laughs> how many of y'all, how many of y'all, when you pick it, get a book and you start reading it, you know, like me, and you're like barreling through it, and then, you know, you make it halfway through the book, you know. You, all the good stuff was up front and in the middle, and it's, it's in the back. In chapter 22 of Revelation, in verse 10, it said, I'm just doing spoiler alert this morning. I'm just, we're just spoiling the whole story this morning, all right? I just want to go ahead and give that to you. In chapter 22, verse 10, it says, Seal not the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. If there's one thing that God wants in regard to this book, it is that we know what it teaches. So it's not sealed. It's, he says, don't seal it. I want everybody to know. God, God's not hiding. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So uh, through the years, I've had people want me to preach through this book. Some of them weren't even nice, man. I mean, I think some people left the church because it, it just wasn't. I mean, uh, so you know, I don't, I don't just, it's not whimsical what I just, I don't throw a dart board at the books of the Bible to figure out what, where we're going to preach from next year. It's like I spend time with God August, September, October, I'm like, God, where do you want me to speak from next year? And that's why we're doing Revelation now. I mean, I've wanted to do it. I've wanted to preach through it. Because I'm let me go ahead and ruin this for you. Most of y'all know as much as I do about it right now. We're going through it together. All right? Oh, that's scary. All right? Okay. So, and there's one, but there's one common thing that everyone that wants me to preach it says. This is what they always say. It's the only book in the Bible that comes with a blessing to the reader. Now, they don't say it like that. I'm being a smart aleck. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's it, well, maybe they do. But, well, but there's a couple things wrong with that statement. First of all, it's a given that reading the word of God is a blessing. Thank you. Amen. Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's, that's part of it back here in the back, all right? 
we are to declare and take heed to the redemptive plan of God, which is in the whole Bible. There's no need to pick one book out because those words are in that particular letter. The other thing is that when people make that statement, they leave out the rest of the verse. So I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Hey, that's right. They're right. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. It certainly says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, but it clearly doesn't stop there. There's a comma, and conjunctions, comma, conjunction. The rest of the verse says, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near. We just did the healthy church series and the big thing about it was about obedience. Here we go. It's all, it is, it always keeps coming back to that obedience. Hear and keep. Everyone has been guilty of reading and not hearing or listening and not hearing, but it goes beyond even that. Blessed are those who obey what is written. In our day, we really need to stay dialed into chapters two and three as the church is addressed. You see, the church is gone after chapter three in Revelation. You don't find it, you know, where'd it go? We'll talk about that. We're told about messy church, lazy church, compromising church, tolerant church, all those churches, the seven churches that we preached about last year. And by the way, you can go back. They're on our podcast, on our website. You can hear those. I'm not going to go back over the seven churches. Heed the warnings and get our house in order. Likewise, as this letter comes to a close, Jesus repeats in chapter 22, verse 7. He says, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps, there it is again, the words of the prophecy of this book. If you're going to keep them, you got to read them, you got to know them before you keep them. But if you just read them and you just know them, you're just fathead, right? A lot of fatheads going around right now. They just argue about this and that. We, God wants people that will obey. So, This book begins and ends with a promise of blessing to the one who reads and obeys. We are told that Jesus is coming soon. Hallelujah. Amen. That is the next thing on the prophetic calendar. He's coming back. Now, the key to the book is found in the very first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pastor, when are you going to preach on revelation? Hey, I can't wait to get in revelation. Oh, whoa, 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 you're saying it wrong. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. It's the apocalypse, the apocalypsis in the Greek, the unveiling or revealing of Jesus Christ, the uncovering of the truth about Christ. We're, we're going to learn things about Jesus Christ in this book that we wouldn't know if it weren't for this book. 
the revelation which God gave to him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. In other words, this is a glimpse of the future, the near future. And he sent and signified it by his angels unto his servant John. God wanted to reveal Jesus Christ in full glory. You see, that's a future reality. See, the first time that Jesus came, we read in Philippians 2, he, he had emptied himself of his glory. You know, we couldn't have stood him. How many of us could stand in the presence of the sun, S-U-N, sun, right? We would melt. Just think, the creator of that, if he was in all of his glory, we couldn't do it. So when he came here, he emptied himself of that just so we could stay alive in his presence. And so he sent the message about this with an angel who delivered it to John. In verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So in verse 1, God set out to reveal. In verse 2, John dutifully writes it down. And in verse 3, we have the blessing for those who hear and obey. And then this important statement, for the time is near or at hand. And that's more of a sequence of events than time. See, everybody's always worried about the date, right? I don't know if I've got anybody here as old as me, but you heard that prophecy years ago, 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. Was anybody, praise the Lord, there's two of us older people in here. <laughs> Guess what? They were wrong. Okay, we don't have, we have, it's a sequence of events, not when he's saying he's near at hand, it's a sequence of events. So this is next on God's calendar of messianic events. It's next. (laughs) We just don't know when next is, right? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ and all his glory in the second coming, which was interestingly enough, previewed in his first coming on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John got to see a glimpse of his glory. Remember that? In Matthew 17, he's up there. They're wanting to, they're like, hey, let's build some tents for everybody. And Jesus is like, come on. You know, he let it get a little taste. And one theologian called that event the trailer to the mo- full motion picture. That was pretty cool, I thought. Verses four through eight in Revelation 1 bring a little more formal introduction, a greeting to the seven churches we studied at the end of last year. Let's read that. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion for and ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I would say, amen after that. The seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, were the first recipients of this letter. 
Each letter was passed on from them to all the other churches and down to us as well. These churches were primarily founded as a result of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Ephesus being the key church, and from there the word of God spread through Asia Minor. So then comes a greeting. He says, grace be unto you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now this speaks of the eternal God who was and who is and who is in the future to come. And then from the sevenfold spirit before the throne. And it says seven spirits. This is why we're going through this together because some of that stuff is like weird sounding, right? Sevenfold Holy Spirit. If you were to read in Isaiah 11 2, and you can write that down as for your notes there and make it a cross reference, you find that there are seven unique, seven unique ministries of the Holy Spirit listed. And He is therefore the sevenfold Spirit, which speaks of the fullness of His ministry. It's not saying seven gods, seven spirits, it speaks of the fullness of his ministry here that are called the seven spirits before the throne. So the letter is from the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then, since it is a revelation of Jesus Christ, it goes on to describe Jesus as the first begotten of the dead. It, it doesn't mean that he was the first one that ever rose from the dead. There were others that even he raised Lazarus and some others. It means that all of those ever to be raised from the dead, including the saints, he is the first and foremost and chief and greatest one of all who will ever rise. And by the way, all men who have ever lived will rise from the dead, some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of damnation. There's a resurrection for everybody. But of all who have ever risen, Jesus Christ is superior. He is the prince. It says of the kings of the earth, and it says unto him. Now, here's a dedication. The book is from the Trinity by an angel to John, written down, passed on to us to read. It comes from the Trinity and is dedicated, verse 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. The dedication is to Jesus Christ himself, the one who has made us priest unto God and his father to whom to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the book right there is dedicated to the glory of the eternal Christ. And then it tells us in verse seven, behold, he is coming, future tense, with the clouds and, and every eye shall See him. Now that's reason for us to be looking up, right? He's coming. He's coming back, and everybody should be looking for him. And they also who pierced him will see him. And all the tribes of earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So let it be. And so we find right there that the book is introduced to us from the Trinity, dedicated to Jesus Christ, who is coming. And when he comes, every eye will see him. And so let it be. This event. Is it going to escape by? Everybody's going to know what's going on. 
It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. And that is a kind of a glimpse of what the whole book is about, the coming of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 8 that he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. The Almighty. That signifies, of course, God in his essence and Christ in his unique relationship to God within the Trinity. So the book, then, is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's about his return and about the facts that are going to occur around that return. Jesus is coming back. This is not the first time anyone ever heard this. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Angel talking and said, Men of Galilee, why don't you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they're standing there. Jesus is with the disciples, the resurrected Jesus, and he just starts floating up. I mean, this, the disciples heard this upon Jesus' epic ascension into heaven. And by the way, wouldn't you call it an epic? I mean, it, who else do you know that just floated up into the sky? All right? And so the angel said ahead of time, oh, what you just saw, he's coming back that way. So you see what we're doing here? We're letting one scripture interpret another scripture, right? This is not the first time this was spoken of. And it ties together. We see the Bibles, it networks together. So the theme in the first eight verses of chapter one is Jesus Christ in his second coming. Now, as we look at verse nine, he gets into the first of his visions and it, it's a series of visions that God gives to John. John says, I, John, and he says that a lot in the book. And it's almost as if he's in a state of shock. I mean, wouldn't you be? <laughs> Am I really seeing this? Well, John, he has his own nobody special moment, right? He's on this island of Patmos, minding his own business. He's in exile for preaching Christ when this word comes to him. I want us to get this. Now, he, he's been preaching Christ. They attempt to kill him over that. It's a failed attempt. So, all right, well, we'll just put him on this island so that his message gets out of the mainstream and it can't get back over here to us. Well, look where it landed. <laughs> right? When God wants to get his word out, he can't be shut up. Now he says... I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, this means either in the Holy Spirit in a unique way or simply hanging out with the Lord on Sunday or in a prophetic sense. I was in the Spirit looking at the day of the Lord in its fullness. Frankly, it doesn't matter. And by the way, let me just say this. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't matter. We need to concentrate on what we know and go with that, right? And there's probably going to be a lot of that as we get into Revelation. You know what? Do what you know. The other stuff, you may not know till you see Jesus face to face, right? He obviously, got a, he, he obviously got a word from the Lord about end times, 
right? We can tell that. So I heard, he says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Again, a real word to real churches in real cities. And then as John turns in the, in the first vision, he has a vision of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Listen to this vision that he has of Jesus Christ. One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like a roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. Listen, this ain't no baby Jesus. Mm -mm. And if John wasn't paying attention, he's paying attention now. Right? And by the way, that those descriptions, those are great descriptions of Jesus, and you should study that a lot. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that. I can't on everything. So that's why I want a lot of, if you'll be, get in one of our small groups, our CPR groups, get in one of the sermon-based groups. I know some of you may do a different group, but if you want to get deeper into Revelation, in your group, get in a group. You can sign up after this. Get one, see one of us. Get in it. So he sees Jesus moving among seven golden lampstands. I love this. Now, each lampstand represents a church. So Jesus is moving among the churches. Now, seven is the number of fullness. So what you have here is a representation of all the churches. And Christ is moving from church to church, ministering to the churches. Oh, don't we need Jesus to minister to the churches today? He holds, his, he holds in his right hands seven stars. Now it tells us down in verse 20 that the seven stars are the ministers of the seven churches. But it's the Lord moving through his church, his church. Ministering, trimming the lamps, doing his work of purification and judgment, applying wisdom and all that. Hey, let me just ask us, what kind of trimming of your lamp or my lamp would Jesus have to be doing if he was coming in here? I mean, do we really want Jesus to do a mighty work in the church? Then there's some things we need to get right, right? And John sees Christ in his glory ministering to the church. And that introduces us really to the outline of the book, the past, present, future, things you've seen, things that are, things that are to come. Now it all begins with Christ being revealed in the church age moving among the churches, ministering to the church. And in that ministry comes seven letters written to these individual historical churches that relate to the church today and individual believers today. 
So as you read, as you study, do some background study on the seven churches, you'll see you in a little bit of all of those. But before we get to the meat and potatoes that everyone so wants to get into, let's go back to the back of the book for our introduction. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You see, John reveals what has been revealed to him. But right here at the end, the Holy Spirit and the church, the bride say, come. And here's what strikes me. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. Take. Y'all say that with me, take. You see, that, that should appeal Oh, it should so appeal to our culture, our society of takers, right? Aren't we? It's more blessed to take than, than, than to give, right? I mean, I mean, that's where we're at, right? And so God, God says, forget all the funny stuff. Here it is. Take it. That's what you want, isn't it? Isn't it what you want? Don't, we want, don't you want eternal life? You know what he says? He says, take it, Right? I mean, I think, I mean, people have trying to figure out ways to live longer and all this. And he says, you want eternal life. Take it. There it is. The free gift of eternal life is free for the taking. Just take it. Forget about all your barriers and excuses on why not to take it. it and it really sounds ridiculous after thoroughly walking through Revelation for the one who will not take freely of this eternal life that is so graciously offered, life is hopeless. I said it earlier. Why live in hopelessness and despair when you don't have to? We are left with an astounding and appealing invitation. Those who hear, thirst, and desire should come and take. Let me ask you this morning. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you have some needs? Is there something Take it. There may, there may be no free lunch, but the water from the eternal well leading to eternal life is free. You may not be able to go get a free car, a free house, a free this, a free that, but you can get free eternal life. And let me just ask, which is greater? Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This is an invitation so great that we can glory in it. Anyone who desires salvation in Jesus Christ can come to him and take the water of life freely. Somebody might say, I don't understand all the Christian doctrine and theology. Oh, it's so hard. Well, come anyway, because it doesn't say whoever understands, let him take the water of life freely. Now, does it? No. Somebody else might say, well, I can't repent the way I should. My heart is hard. I'm just such a bad person. You don't know what I've done. And I can't even weep over my sin or feel bad over them as I should. Guess what? Come anyway, because it doesn't say whoever feels, let him take the water of life freely. It just says whosoever will. And another might say, well, I don't know if I can live the Christian life the way that I should. Uh, Come anyway. Because it doesn't say whoever can, 
let him take the water of life freely. Let God worry about cleaning you up. Another person might say, well, I don't know. If I am worthy to live the Christian life, let me just answer that for you. You can't come anyway because it doesn't say who is worthy. Let him take the water of life freely. Listen, it says whoever is thirsty for eternal life. Anybody thirsty in here? It says whoever is thirsty for eternal life, come. This is what Jesus said, all right? Just like he said, whosoever will. There is no standard of height here. Back in January, my wife, my daughter, son-in-law, and our six-year-old grandson, we went to Universal Studios, had a good time there. That boy, he, gosh, he loves to just go fast and everything. Right now, they just left Colorado, I guess, skiing, and he was at the bottom of the hill pointing up at it, and it was the one where almost killed me two years ago. I don't know if he knew that or not, but I remembered it. He just likes to go fast. So we're at Universal, and you know what? There are certain rides he couldn't ride because he wasn't tall enough, but I could. <laughs> Look, this is not eternal life. It's not like that. There's no standard height here. It is, it's, it's of any height, any size, little centers, big centers, white centers, black centers, mixed race centers, old centers, aggravated centers, old Curmudgeon, curmudgeon, sinners. I mean, I mean, honorary sinners. I'm thinking of uh, a relative of mine that was just the grouchiest person you ever met on earth, and he got saved on his deathbed. It's for everybody, whosoever will. It is really this simple. Do you desire Jesus and his salvation? Then come. Can you say, now, Lord, I desire to be saved. Give me a new heart. I desire to give up my sins. I desire to be a follower of Jesus, one of his true disciples. I desire to believe and a desire to obey. But you, but you honestly say, but I can't do it. I don't have strength to do it. I don't have the fortitude to do it. I don't have the aptitude to do it. I don't have any, I ha, I've got the desire. Lord, give me the power. And you know what? If this is your desire, then you are freely invited to come if you're only willing. There's no barrier between you and Jesus except your stubborn will. At the end of the day, you can go, I, I just like being me too much. Let him take the water of life freely when you desire, when you come, then you must take. All of this world's religion can be summed up in the idea that you must bring someone you must bring something to give unto the little g-gods. The essence of Christianity is summed up in the idea that God invites us to take the water of life freely. You can't bring anything to save or justify or commend yourself before God, but you can take this salvation he offers. You bring nothing to the table of salvation. You're just a taker. We are a culture of takers. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ should appeal to the masses versus the works-based religions of the world bringing their best to attempt to justif justification by works. But right here, Jesus says, come take of the water of life freely. Listen, we are invited to come and get it. My mama would cook dinner and then tell the kids, come and get it. 
Huh? Anybody had a mama? Anybody have that experience? Right? All right. There we go. We on the same way. Just you and me in the room, bro. The woman at the well was told to drop her water pot and come and drink freely from what Jesus was offering. What a relief that should be for mankind to not keep getting and going and working and having to do all that stuff. Whoever desires, let them take the water of life freely. I'm not making this up. It's what Jesus said. It is fitting that this great invitation closes the book of Revelation in the Bible. All the prophets of the Bible, all the apostles of the Bible, all the threatenings of the Bible, all the promises of the Bible gather themselves up and focus themselves into this one burning ray of sunshine. Come to Jesus, come and take the water of life freely. So why am I telling you the end of Revelation and the introduction? I want you to get it from the beginning to the end, and I want you to bring people here to hear it so that they can be takers too. Come and stink and get it. Come and get it. Next steps for you as you come and get it. Next steps may be, for somebody right here, you may have never come and got it. It's invite. The invitation is you. It's a free gift of eternal life. I'll, I'll stand up here, or maybe somebody brought you here today, and you know that they're a follower of Jesus. Come and get it. Don't, don't worry about Quit. Stop. Stop worrying about all your barriers. Jesus has knocked all those down with the cross. Maybe your next step is falling through a believer's baptism. Some of you, I know some people are getting baptized after this service. Maybe just come and let us know you want to do that today or come to the next one. Connect with a small group where we're getting discipled in our CPR groups and our D groups in different ways. But here's something I want everybody to do, particularly if you're a follower of Jesus. I want you to write something down. I want you to write down a name or two of people that you think would never, oh, never will they come and get it. They are not getting saved. I'm going to triple dog dare you right now to write their name down and start praying for them. Just this last week, I had one of those people on my list. Flat out, straight out, admitted atheist. I've been praying for him. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and go ahead and say it. The day that I added him back to my prayer list, he had a dream that night. He called me, he texted me a few days later to say, hey, can I come talk to you? I had a dream. Sure, we can talk. Our only other text conversations were me during COVID when I couldn't talk to anybody about Jesus. I shared the gospel with him via text message. <laughs> Imagine getting that text from the pastor. We heard it a couple of times, so he knew what he was getting into when he came to talk to me. He was coming to get it. Oh, he got it. Maybe that's where you're at. But he was on that list of he ain't getting saved. I want you to pray for some people. Put them on that list and you start praying for them. I can tell you, years ago, I was at a church and we did that. And I remember praying for the old crustiest 
guy that I could think of. And that joker got saved like the next week. I mean, what? I mean, yeah, I was like, I'm telling you to pray something you don't think is really going to happen. Let God show off. Because you know why? Jesus is coming back. Let him catch you at work. Now's your time to respond and however God is speaking. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. We know that that's what happened this morning. We hope and we pray that you know that as well, that we didn't speak words of men this morning. We looked at the Word of God, the the inspired Word of God, and we talked about that. And we know that whenever that happens, whenever people come together and we hear the Word of God, God is working in us. He's changing us. And we, we hope that you are ready to take some next steps as a follower of Jesus, maybe a first step as a follower of Jesus. And we've tried to make those next steps easy. So you can either go to our website, livingtruthchurch.com and fill out the connect card, which will have some different options for things that God may be prompting you to do. Or you can download our app in the app store, Living Truth Church, and go to the next steps tab in the app. And there's some options with, with different things that God may be prompting you to do or pushing you to do. But whatever it is, we pray that you will take that next step as a follower because we we believe that if we're coming together and we're hearing God's word and he's trying to, to mold us and to, to look more like him, then if we leave here unchanged, we've wasted our time. We, we know that if God's word is proclaimed, we should be different. And so we hope that you'll take those next steps and we would love to come alongside you as you take those steps. Um, right now, I just ask that you'll join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together to look at your word and, and we thank you for your presence. God, I pray that you'll move in the hearts and lives of every person that's engaging with us this morning online. We pray that they'll leave here different than when they got here. God, we know that it's only you that can do that. God, and so we ask you to do what only you can do. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great week.